is your first time here, we'd like to welcome you and uh, and just say thank you for coming. We're Chi Alpha. Uh, we uh, we really do consider this a, a family, a home away from home. And so thanks for being part of the family tonight. And just know that uh, we want you to feel feel at home here. Uh, my name is Steve. My wife's name is Erin. She's right back there. Can you wave for everybody? Nice. All right. Awesome. Uh, we are gonna we're gonna take an offering tonight. Uh, Chi Alpha exists and happens based off of uh, financial gifts and financial giving from uh, our financial partners and people like you. And so uh, if you are here for the first time, please feel in no way, shape, or form obligated to give. But if Chi Alpha has blessed you, this is a way to be able to bless Chi Alpha. So they're going to be passing baskets around. And if you'd like to give via credit card uh, or debit card, we do have the ability to do that at the info table uh, right as you guys walk out here at the end of the service. So. I have a couple uh, family business items to talk about tonight. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you to everybody who came to Encounter. We just had an awesome, wasn't Encounter awesome? It was so good. We had such a good time. God did some really awesome things. And uh, raise your hand if God did something cool in your life at Encounter this weekend. Yeah, awesome. That's so good. Uh, and we had a lot of fun Uh I, I laughed very hard at comedy night, uh, and I, I laughed very hard at uh, at uh, Family Feud. That was a lot of fun playing that with you guys. And uh, we have a birthday in the house. Uh, where where is John Far at? John Far, John Far, wow. John Far was birthed on this day. Twenty two years ago. Is that right, John? 23. 23 years ago. 23 years ago. Can we can we give a round of applause for John for being birthed? Good job. All right? As I always say, give your mom a big hug today, John, because she did a lot more work than you. So, uh, it's true, all right? Don't get gross. I heard somebody like, oh, over there. Uh, it's true. Anyways, moving on before we go down that rabbit trail anymore. Uh, tonight, uh, I want to talk about something that might be on your mind a little bit with, uh, how many people have a midterm this week? Anybody have a midterm or next week? Anybody got a midterm next week? Okay. Uh, uh, does anybody, does anybody ever worry about anything in here? Raise your hand if you worry ever. Okay. Never. All right. Very good. That's great. Uh, now, have you, you guys remember when you were little and how different worry was when you were a little kid? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the things you worried about when you were a little kid, like like shout some of them out. What did we worry about when we were little kids? I, I heard falling off your bike. I heard clowns. That's weird, Niall. All right. Uh, finding lost toys, right? Like, like you, lo- you lost a toy or... Or, like, you tore one of your Pokemon cards and you just freaked out. You know what I'm saying? I didn't actually I – was, I was more of, like uh, – I was more of a baseball card kid. And, uh, and yeah, so, like, if – I remember one day uh, I, I traded a baseball card for a different baseball card with one of my neighborhood friends, and he, like, like totally hosed me. And uh, I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't know that – and my brother came home and told me that, and I, like, cried for, like, three hours, all right? And uh, I was, and I talked to my mom, and I was like, Mom, you have to call his mom and tell her to give me my cards back. And, uh, and she did it, and she said, no, this is a good lesson for you, Steve. 
And, uh, and it was a terrible situation, right? But we had all these different things that we worry about uh, all the time when we were little kids. And then when we grow up, we look back at them and we're like, I cannot believe I worried about that. Like, I can't believe I, I cried over getting socks for Christmas, or I can't believe I, you know, and some of you are like, Steve, I cried because I got socks for Christmas this year. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but we, for whatever reason, when we grow up, we look back, and the things that were once giant hurdles in our lives, for whatever reasons, just seem a lot smaller, because life continually becomes more complicated. And today, all of you have a lot of things to worry about, right? You're worried about, well, am I going to the right school, or what major should I pick, or uh, should uh, what job am I going to get when I get out of college? Am I going to get paid enough? What What's this thing going on at work? You have the test to study for. You have a grade that you're worried about in a class. You, you're wondering about, well, what should I wear? How do I look? Is that guy I like going to think that I look good tonight? Is that girl I look think, th- you know, is gonna, she is even going to recognize that I exist ever, uh, is, uh, you know, all of these things go through our heads. And pretty soon we start to kind of have these things pile up. And you guys are at a situation in your life, and we talk about this a lot in Chi Alpha, where you're making some pretty significantly large decisions, right? Like, what am I going to do with my life? And who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? All of these things are going on. And so, obviously, things pile up. And then we live in a society today that kind of demands perfection from us. You know what I'm saying? And kind of places this expectation on us that we need to be successful and that we need to somehow fight for perfection and fight for reward in our lives. We have been told all of our lives, right, that we can be and do whatever we want to be, whatever we set our minds to. However, what your elementary teacher didn't tell you was that that may or may not lead to some, like, anxiety and mental health. You know what I'm saying? Or mental unhealth is what I should say. That, yeah, we keep driving and we keep pressing and we keep pushing, but eventually we get tired, eventually we get weary, eventually we worry, and eventually we have anxiety. And I've been talking to my colleagues around the nation, people who, uh, who do Chi Alpha at other places, and there's an interesting trend that is happening in college students and young adults today, and anxiety is on the rise. In fact, at most universities, they are they're doubling the number of counselors that they have on staff at their universities to try to keep up with the rising demand of people struggling with generalized anxiety disorder because we just can't seem to figure out how to continue to move forward. And that is not me putting a bash on current college students. It's me saying we obviously have an issue here that I think Jesus has an answer for. Amen? And if the Bible says a lot about anxiety, if it says a lot about depression, if it says a lot about worry, and we're all struggling with it in here, then let's talk about what the Bible says about it, right? And I believe that there are some people here tonight that worry and anxiety is is kind of like, uh, an everyday nuisance to you. It's something that you that you think about often and, and bothers you uh, in, in greater degrees from time to time. And then there's some of you in here that anxiety and worry has a grip on your life. In fact, it has such a grip on your life that it sometimes binds you into a state of depression and in state of a state of anxiety in which it kind of is almost de- debilitating to you. 
And whether whatever end of the spectrum you're on tonight, I believe that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for you is that you and your life would not be lorded over by anxiety. That you would be a person of peace and that you'd be a person who rests in the comfort of our great God. So I want us to understand a couple things before we get into kind of how do we actually do this, right? Because it sounds all well and good, but tonight I don't want you to walk out of here and uh, and say, uh, just say, well, what did you guys talk about at Kyle for tonight? We talked about anxiety. Well, how do you overcome anxiety? Jesus, right? Like that's like not what I, I want to actually give you guys and equip you guys with some practical things to be able to to do. But before we get into that, we got to understand a couple things about worry. Number one is that worry is not from the Lord. It is not from the Lord. In fact, worry is actually a result of some form of disconnect or misunderstanding of who God is. The Bible does not say that God is a God of worry and anxiety. The Bible actually says that God is a God of comfort and peace, and that in Him there is rest, and that we can cast our anxiety on Him because He cares for us, that His commands are not burdensome, that His yoke is easy, that His burden is light. Right, And we could go on and on and on. And so we have to understand that God doesn't want us to live in worry. The Bible also talks about the fact that worry is useless. In Matthew 6, 27, Jesus himself says, Can any one of you add a single, or can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And the Bible goes on to actually command us not to be anxious, to command us not to worry. Because worry eventually gives way to fear in our lives, and fear is kind of one of those, like, gateway things that the devil uses to kind of stick his foot in to our lives and cause and kind of wreak a lot of havoc. And so we want to handle this, and God wants us to deal with this. But the second thing I want us to understand about stress and worry and anxiety is that all stress is not bad. That some stress is actually an okay thing. Now hear me out on that. I believe that, that stress actually has the ability to push us to the end of ourselves so that we eventually have to end up on our knees, surrendered to the fact that, Jesus, I cannot do this without you. And if So what I don't want us to do tonight, I do not want you to walk out of here thinking that Steve just told me that I have to look at life as everything is puppy dogs, candy canes, and roses. And that tomorrow, in order to follow Jesus, I have to skip to class. <laughs> you know, singing some Sound of Music song or something like that. If you do that, you're probably going to lose all your friends, okay? Uh, <laughs> so that's not what I'm saying. Because I think that, that some stress in our lives is okay. It's just all about how we perceive that stress. And it's whether or not we make the stress in our lives lord over our lives, or we submit it to the Lord of Lords in our lives, Jesus Christ, and we say, Jesus, what do I do with this? Tell me how to carry this. I believe that our capacity for the kingdom, our capacity to do things for the kingdom, will increase as we increase our ability to give Jesus our stress. Does that make sense? I believe that as we increase our ability to, to give Jesus our stress, then we will increase our capacity, the amount that we're able to accomplish for the kingdom of God. 
So often what I see in people is that they are limited by what I call emotional intelligence, emotional IQ. That we might be, we get older every year. We never stop that, right? So like we get older and older and older. We keep passing on to the years of our lives. But sometimes we never go back to maybe our 16-year-old self or our 17 or 18-year-old self and handle some of the emotional or mental blockades in our maturity there. And eventually we end up 30 years old with the emotional intelligence of a 17-year-old. Some of us know people like that in our lives, right? And what I believe God wants us to do is God is saying, hey, I want to walk with you. I know life is stressful. I know that life is burdensome. I know that things are tough. And I know that there is anxiety that is going to come against you. I want to walk in that with you so that we continue to grow in this together. And God will never give us more than what we can handle, right? That's a promise from him. But we have to make sure that what we have been given, we are laying at his feet and that we are handling in the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I don't want us to run from stress. I don't want us to just, I'm just not going to think about that. I want us to be able to walk in and through things that might be difficult, but be able to do that underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. Is that making sense? Thank you. I appreciate that. The reality is, is that life is not going to slow down for any of us, right? And so I don't want you guys to ever listen to the lie that, oh, well, as soon as my degree is done, then I'll be able to take a deep breath. Because you get to that stage of life, and all of a sudden you're in the first year of marriage. And you say, oh, the first year of marriage is just really stressful, and, and, uh, and, but as soon as we're kind of like out of this, like kind of getting used to each other, getting to know each other, then, then life is going to be better. But then a baby comes, right? You say, oh, man, I, this first year of having a baby is really stressful. And, but as soon as, the, as soon as he or she is out of diapers, then, then it won't be stressful. And then there's soccer practice. Then there's another baby on the way. And then there's this, that, the other thing. And pretty soon, the next thing you know, life is just piling up baggage. And if we carry on with the understanding of our emotional stress and our emotional anxiety, in, in the attitude of, of someone who never stepped past the emotional maturity of a 16-year-old, we're going to obviously have problems in our marriage as a parent, as a dad, as a mom. Does that make sense? So I want us to be able to start to, to, to deal with this now. And I believe that, that I am not, I, I want you to know I'm not making light of anxiety. I want you to know that I really think that it is a real problem that Jesus has a real answer for. And so we're going to look at a guy by the name of David tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'll have you turn open to Psalms 57. Now, to give you an idea, David wrote a lot of these psalms, and, and what they were really is they were, they were bearing his heart to God. And David is the same David. Many of you have probably heard of David and Goliath, right, where this guy, like, throws a, throws a stone with a slingshot at a giant, kills this giant. That, that's the, this is the same David. But after he killed the giant, David started to uh, grow in popularity in his kingdom. And uh, he grew in popularity in Israel, and he was actually declared to be uh, the next king over all of Israel. And everybody loved him, and he was like the, the, like the, the man in Israel. And there was this king by the name of Saul. 
And Saul obviously started to see that everybody loved David and they kind of loved him and he grew very jealous of David. And so what the obvious thing to do would be to just kill him, right? So Saul said, I, I don't like this guy, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get rid of him. I'm jealous of him, I'm gonna kill him. And so David has to run for his life. Some of you looked at me like that's how I handle my problems. That's not how I handle my problems, okay? All right, so I don't, it's like, ah, just kidding. No, that's not what I do. So uh, some of you are like, that's not an obvious answer, Steve. What are you talking about? But, uh, but no, that, that was Saul's reaction to David. And so in, when David writes this psalm, he is in a cave hiding from David, or hiding from Saul. He is literally on the run for his life. And he writes this psalm. And so I think that's a pretty stressful, anxiety-filled situation, right? Like, it kind of makes my, uh, like, the fact that I was worried about whether or not we had enough Honey Nut Cheerios for me to have two bowls this morning, that kind of makes worry about that seem pretty small, right? And so I, I don't know about you, but I've had some stressful things happen in my life. However, I have never had an army of trained soldiers searching for me to kill me. So that's good news for Steve, right? So, uh, but what I want you to understand is that obviously this was a pretty extreme situation, and David somehow was able to keep his head on straight. So let's read this and look. We get to kind of, the Psalms are beautiful because we get to like look into the heart of David. So let's look at this. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings, until this disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends me from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Now listen to this. He kind of like, like has a little bit of a, uh, a mood swing here. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell amongst ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. But now he, like, switches back, right? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. <laughs> Let your glory be over all the earth. Now he's back again. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. <laughs> my heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. How in the world is someone who's getting hunted to be killed is able to sing praise to God, doesn't pretend like everything is perfect, is very real about the issues and the situations that he's facing. But he walks through this in a godly, in a godly way. How does he do this? So I got three things that we must rethink and renew to deal with with the worry and anxiety in our lives. Number one is that we need to renew our trust. We need to renew our trust. It is obvious as we read through this that, that David was not putting his trust in the cave that he was hiding in. He did not say, in you, O cave, I find my rest. Right? 
In you, O cave, I hide in the shadows of your nooks and crannies. He didn't say any of that. He put his trust in the Lord. See, when we worry, worry is really the opposite of trust. And worry is an indicator that something is off in what we are trusting. Essentially, when we worry, we are telling God that we don't trust him, right? When we worry, whatever we are worried about, we are essentially placing trust in that thing that we are worried about, right? So if I'm worried about my finances, really what I am saying, what my heart of hearts is saying, is that I have my trust rooted in my finances. If I'm worried about this person I'm going to marry, I'm never going to find somebody, then I'm actually putting my trust in the person that I want to marry. If I'm worried about my, my, my grades so that I get a good job and I get all this stuff, well, then I'm actually putting my trust in my career. So what the Bible says and what, what David makes very clear is that, that our trust always needs to be placed in God. And our God, when that happens, our God, the God of the universe, becomes bigger than our problem. I think sometimes that's our problem is that 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 our our view of God becomes so small and our view of our problem becomes so big that we 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 start to only stare at the problem when in reality our infinite God has the ability to crush and snuff out the issue that we are facing. Number 2, the second thing we need to do is that we need to renew our minds. Renew our minds, reminding ourselves who we belong to and the strength that he has. This is such a beautiful psalm. You guys notice how David is like praising God and then he's like talking about his problem. And then he's praising God and then he's talking, right? And he goes back and forth. He has this mood swing thing. But it's so beautiful that God allowed us to see how David was mentally processing this situation. And you see... A guy by the name of Paul who faced very similar challenges in the book of Philippians talks about this as well. And in Philippians 4, this is how he says that we should handle stressful situations. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. How many of you would like the God of peace to be with you? How many of you would like peace that transcends, that goes beyond our understanding? Okay? We love that part of the verse. God, God of peace come. Right? And we say, oh, peace that transcends all understanding come. But sandwiched in the middle of that promise, or sandwiched around that promise, are really two instructional things 
from Paul. He says really two things. Number one, present your request to God. Present your request to God. See, there's one very simple thing that we need to do is we actually have to talk to God about the problems that we are facing. And David did this, right? God, I'm being pursued by these people who want to kill me. They set nets out for me. They, they are evil, evil men that are distressing my life. But you, O oh God, are faithful. And in you, O oh God, I find my rest. And then he's venting to God again, and that's okay to do. But if we never, if we never petition and pray, if we never present our request to God, then we can't expect the peace of God that transcends all understanding to just show up in our lives. But see, when then when we take stress out, we have to put something in its place, right? And that's the other part of the bread and the sandwich of that beautiful promise. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. We must replace our thoughts of anxiety and worry with the promises of God. In order to do this, guys, we need to have the word of God hidden in our hearts. When is the last time you have spent time in the presence of God, relaxing in the presence of God, venting in the presence of God, requesting things to God, actually spending time at his feet? Not just say that you're praying about something, but actually praying about something. To say, God, I need you, and I want to know what your commands say about this. I think some of us are expecting to overcome anxiety without ever having the promises of God spoken over us on a daily basis. To sit down with Scripture and to say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? What Make your thoughts my thoughts. I believe that's what David, see, David was described as a man after God's own heart. He understood the character of God, and he understood what God had to say about anxiety. So if you want to let go of anxiety, it's going to probably be a process. If you are in here tonight and you say, Steve, I'm one of those people that has debilitating anxiety. It literally rules my life. My encouragement to you would be that every single day you would spend time with Jesus alone. And you would, you would present your request to him. You'd say, Jesus, this anxiety has me completely bound. I'm in this depression. I need your help, oh God. Read Psalms. It's full of depressed and anxious people who do just that. And they sit at the Lord's feet and they allow the Lord to speak promises over themselves. And your promises that you have are in this book. And if you need a Bible, we have one for you for free in the back at the info table. You can take one tonight. And it's really simple to just Google search Bible verses about anxiety. And start to memorize those and meditate on those and dwell on those. And fill those your mind with things that are worthy. Things that are noble. Things that are pure. Things that are right. The third thing we need to do is we need to renew our perspective. We need to renew our perspective. I don't think it's, obviously we need to renew our trust, and it's simple to say, well, I trust in God, and we start to renew our minds, but to take it one step further, we need to renew our, our perspective, to change our base level of need. I think sometimes we 
we start to feel entitled in our lives. And entitlement is a gateway for anxiety. When we start saying, I deserve this, or I deserve that, or I deserve more rest, I deserve more sleep, I deserve more personal time, I deserve more alone time, I deserve, uh, I deserve a better grade, I deserve more money, I deserve a better car, I deserve a better house, I deserve to be treated better, and th- all of these things, this entitlement is a gateway for anxiety. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7-10 through 10 says this, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. When is the last time that you have filled your heart with gratitude for the simple things in your life? You know, I'm amazed. When I go backpacking, I can literally survive with everything I need on my back. And every time I go backpacking, as I'm lying in my tent, I realize that, wow, I do not appreciate my house enough. I do not appreciate the simple things in my life that God has blessed me with that I take for granted every single day. You see, there's a simple way to be able to shift this. And I think that when we read this psalm, it is very evident that David is not worried about his, necessarily his life. When he goes back and forth in this psalm, eventually the conclusion he comes to is that, God, my life is for your glory and for the things of your of your will and your desire for my life, and they're for the things of eternity. And I think it's so important to keep an eternal perspective in our lives, to understand that my base level of need is not as high as what I maybe thought it was. And I don't know what it is that you worry about on the daily basis, but I got a I, I got a story that I want to I want to read to you that I think is really good. Is there any uh, any board game players in here? All right, I'm like a huge Settlers of Catan fan. All right, uh, anybody anybody else Settler of Catan fan? Anybody is like Steve? That's way too nerdy for me. Anybody? All right. Uh, okay, perfect. <laughs> Isaac said it's not nerdy enough. Steve, up your nerdy game. Uh, I'll try, my friend. I'm sorry. I love Settlers Catan. Now, if you've played Settlers of Catan with me, uh, you may never want to play again. Uh, uh, especially if you play Monopoly with me, you probably will never want to play with me again. Um, Brisa is still scarred from our last Monopoly game, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, but I read this story, and I thought it was really, really good, so I wanted to read it to you. It's about a little kid playing Monopoly with his grandma. And uh, I can't help but think that this is going to be the grandpa that I'm going to be someday, all right? So listen to this. I learned how to play Monopoly from my grandmother. She was a wonderful person. She raised six children. She was a widow by the time I knew her. But she was the most ruthless Monopoly player I have ever known in my life. She understood that the name of the game was to acquire. When she played, I got my initial money from the bank. And I would just try to hold on to it because I didn't want to lose any of it. But she spent everything, bought stuff she landed on as soon as she could, and she'd mortgage it to buy more stuff. And, of course, the way the game goes, eventually she would accumulate everything. She would be the master of the board. She understood that money was the name of the game, and possessions are a matter of survival. And she beat me every time. 
And at the end of the game, she would look at me and say, one day you'll learn how to play the game. She was kind of cocky, my grandmother. When I was about 10, I played every day through the summer holidays with a friend. It dawned on me the only way to win was to have total commitment to accusation. Accusation. That summer, I learned how to play the game. And by the time autumn rolled around, I was more ruthless than ever. And I was ruthless with even my grandmother. I went to play her, and I was willing to do anything to win. I was willing to even bend the rules. I played with sweaty palms. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's weaknesses. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. The game does strange things to you. (laughs) I can still remember the day like yesterday. I looked at my grandmother. This is the person who taught me how to play. She was an old woman by now. She was a widow. She had raised my mother. She had loved me. And I took everything she had. (laughs) I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my young life. (laughs) You guys are like, wow, this guy's got problems. All of us have been there, all right? All of us have been there while playing Monopoly. And then she had one more lesson to teach me. She said to me, now it goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. All the houses and the hotels, boardwalk and park place, all of those railway stations and utilities, all of that wonderful money, it all goes back in the box, she said. But I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave the board out permanently, bronze it maybe as a memorial to what I had achieved. And she said, it all goes back in the box. It was kind of a way of saying to me, none of it is really yours. It doesn't belong to you. You don't own any of it. You used it just for a little while, and now it goes back in the box. And next time, it'll all go to someone else. That's the way the game works. So when you play the the game, don't forget this one lesson. When the game comes to the end, and the game always comes to an end, the stuff always goes back in the box. There's a simple two-word question we tend to ask ourselves, then what? When I've reached the top, then what? When I've had it all, then what? When I have finally had enough, when I'm financially secure, when I've got to sought that other, after that promotion, made the ultimate purchase, got the ideal home, assured financial security, climbed the ladder of success to the highest rung, and then the thrill wears off, and it will wear off. Sooner or later, you're faced with the nagging question, then what? The reality is, is that the things we worry about in this life are so incredibly temporal. They're here today, gone tomorrow. We are but a mist in the wind. And the only thing that lasts are the things that are eternal. And the reality is, is that I can't understand eternity. If I think about it for too long, my brain literally starts to melt, right? But I serve a Jesus who understands eternity very well. And I I serve a Jesus who is not a finite being with finite power, finite abilities, and finite, uh, finite ability to carry things, who's not confined by time or space or any limitation. He is an infinite God who can infinitely take care of my issues. And at the beginning of this message, I, I talked to you guys about how 
silly some of the things that we look back when we were a little kid. We worried about that person taking our toy or the fact that a toy broke or those little things that when we look at them today, we're like, man, I would love to go back to being five. Life was so much simpler back then. The reality is that we serve a God who doesn't, who looks at us and says the same thing. Oh, my child. Life is not nearly as complicated as what you're making it. And I want to bring you peace. He doesn't say it in a condescending way. He doesn't say it in a way of like, try the cross, right? (laughs) That's rough. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say it like that. What he says is he says, listen, I know what you're walking through. I know the stress. I know the anxiety. I understand it. But listen, (laughs) I'm so much bigger than that. And if you would just spend time renewing your trust in me, renewing your mind in me, presenting those requests to me, and then letting me fill your mind full of my promises. We'd be able to walk through this together. The worship team can come back up. I'm going to close with a story. You know, uh, the reality is, is that I think the reason this is so important is, number one, because I believe God has healing for all of you right now. In this area. But number two is that I believe that all of you have a God-given destiny that is going to stretch you beyond yourself. I believe that God has a plan for each and every one of you that is not going to be easy. That's going to require you to get on your hands and knees and say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. And if you've never learned how to handle stress now, you won't even be able to see that call that God has placed on your life because you'll be so focused on the now. And my prayer for all of you is that you would step into the fullness of your God-given destiny. And I believe that there are people in this room tonight that you said no to a dream that God has placed on your life because you have said that it is going to be too difficult or right now I'm just dealing with these things right now and God wants to heal that. There are some people in here that God has placed an incredible thing for you to do in your future. You haven't even even heard about it yet because you got to learn how to deal with the stress and anxiety right now before God gives you any other instruction. One of my heroes in this area is my wife, Erin. She has the ability to handle stress so beautifully. I am a roller coaster of emotion, all right? I'm up and down and around and all these things, and I am convinced that if God not given me a woman like Erin to spend my life with, I probably would, like, be dead by now, all right? She brings balance and peace to my life. But I want to tell you a story about Erin that I think is so incredible. When Erin was, uh, when, when Aaron was 20, two years old, she got engaged to this crazy guy named Steve who had this dream of going to Alaska. And literally, no joke, one month after Aaron and I got married, I got a job offer to come to Alaska to work for a nonprofit. And I said, well, could I, could I like plant a Chi Alpha on the side? And they said, yeah, of course, that would be great. And so we prayed about it. Literally one week after saying I do, we started praying about this. And most people would be pretty scared to do anything in their first year of marriage, let alone move 5,000 5, miles or 3,000 miles away from their family and start all this stuff. Aaron hadn't even graduated from college yet. 
and she was praying about all this. And we felt very confident that the Lord had spoken and that it was time to go. And I remember that uh, Aaron was uh, 23 then when we when we uh, literally packed up everything we had in, in, in two big U-boxes, shipped it to Alaska, jumped in our car, and we moved. And we get here, we, uh, we move into a house that we had never even been in before. I mean, you guys, this was a stressful season of life. And, man, it was crazy. I, would, I cried way more than my wife. <laughs> I'm just going to be vulnerable with you. I was worried and anxious way more than my wife, and Aaron was always steady. And I'll never forget, we were in, my, we were in our house, and uh, we were about to have the first night ever of Chi Alpha. We were going to have people over for burgers, and we were going to cast vision for what this thing was going to be all about. And we had gotten our house clean, and we got the burgers set out, all the food ready to go, and and uh, and a fire pit set up in the backyard. Everything was ready, and there was about a half hour before people were supposed to show up. And I'm standing in the living room, and I look at Aaron, and we're thinking the same thing. Oh, my gosh, I hope this works. And she looked at me, and she does this really cute little thing. She, like, she kind of, like, slouched her shoulders like this and put her neck on she and she looked kind of like this. And uh, it's just really cute. I love you, Aaron. All right? And she looked at me, and she goes, I'm scared. And I wrapped my arms around her, and I said, yeah, me too. And in that moment, it was like this culmination of the last four years of this call that God had been working out in my life, and really the last two years of a call that, that God had been working out in Aaron's life. And it came to this head when we realized that, oh my gosh, yeah, this is crazy. But I'll never forget that moment, because in that moment, my wife showed me a strength in Jesus that I don't know that I've ever seen in anybody else. In that much, in that intimate of a way. And I saw that my wife has the ability to somehow face life's stressful situations and take them in stride. Because I know that my wife puts her trust in Jesus, that she renews her mind on a daily even an hourly basis, and that she's always thinking about eternity way more than the temporal. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but I believe that God might have some big things for you, and he might be, he might be uncovering those tonight, or maybe tonight he just wants to heal some things in your heart and start you on the path to overcome some generalized anxiety in your life. And tonight we'd love to pray for you, we're going to take the last few minutes of, of tonight to sing some songs and, and pray for people. But if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here tonight and you need healing from depression or anxiety, just raise your hand in here. Awesome. We're going to pray for that, and we're going to invite you to the back to receive prayer for that. If you're here tonight and you need to be set free, Just from, uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to word it this way. If you're here tonight and, and you know that God is calling you to do something that you've been very worried and anxious about, raise your hand. I don't know. I want to know who, who I'm praying for in that. Awesome. I, my hand's up with you. There's some things that I'm dreaming about that scare the, the living daylights out of me. I have no idea how they're going to happen. But God knows. And I believe he's in that.
Awesome. If you're here tonight, my last question is this. If you're here tonight and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus and you would like one, and you'd like to surrender your life to him and make him the Lord of your life, can you just raise your hand and, and while you raise your hand, look at me. Is that for anybody? Okay, I don't see anybody, but if that is you, if you'd like to do that, I would love to pray with you in the back and let you know what that means. But for all of you that raise your hand to one of those first two questions, I'm going to pray for all of us like this. God, I pray that you would release people from anxiety in the name of Jesus. I pray for healing over depression. I pray healing over anxiety. I pray healing over worry in Jesus' name. I pray that tonight they would start to cast their anxiety on you, that they would present their requests to you, and that your peace that transcends all understanding would guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I pray that they would start to renew their mind with whatever is, whatever is wor worthy, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is true, God. Start to speak promises over them. And for those individuals who are worried about something that you've called them to, I pray that you, oh God, would show them that you are bigger than what you have called them to that you're already there, that you've already prepared in advance the good work for them to do, and that all they need to do is be faithful and surrender, and I pray that you would give them the ability to do that. God, I pray that we would not stay stuck in the emotional maturity of a 16, 17, 18-year-old, but that we would grow and advance in our walks with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take the next five minutes to just allow this to sink in, and if, we, if you need prayer for anything, please come see us in the back. And we would love, love, love to pray with you over whatever it is that you might be anxious about.